You know, we're in a series that I've called All for One, and I hope by now you're really familiar with the theme statement that sort of encompasses and abbreviates, you know, the idea of the one and other passages. The theme statement is this, all of us make one of us. All of us make one of us. And I hope you've had the opportunity to memorize our theme text, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. And, it's, and this is Paul writing to a church in Corinth that's kind of divided up and has divided themselves over everything from doctrine to personalities to, to problems. And he says to this church in 1 Corinthians 12 that you, that the disciples of Jesus in Corinth, and for that matter, in all time and in all places, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. A sister passage in Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, Paul, again, writing to a church, it's divided up through that city and house churches to remind them that they are one in Christ. He says, in Christ we, though many, form one body. The many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, when it comes to the body of Christ, which is the church and the disciples that make up that body, that church, we should be so connected to each other. We should be so connected to each other that it looks like one body. That is true unity in diversity. And if we are going to be obedient to the one another commands and functional as disciples of Jesus, then we have to be connected to one another. In fact, we might be able to say it this way. Don't do life without the body. Could you imagine just being a brain or just a consciousness without a body? I mean, how would you be able to experience the fullness and the realness of what life, human life, is like in the world? The same thing is true as a disciple of Jesus. Don't do life without the body. Now, there is a fellow by the name of Paul Brand, a Christian, did a lot of medical work in India later on in the United States. Uh, Maybe you've read some of his writings, a very, very uh, profound individual. And in the context of what he saw in India and what he was beginning to see in the United States, he writes this, and I quote, The body poorly protects what it does not feel. The body poorly protects what it does not feel in... In the spiritual body also, loss of feeling inevitably leads to atrophy and inner deterioration. He continues, much of the sorrow in the world is due to selfishness. The selfishness of one living organism that simply does not care when another suffers. End of quote. In a healthy body, a hand or a toe toe or an adenoid does not just disappear without the body knowing it. You know, the hand and the foot and the toe and the tongue and the brain and the ear are never injured without the whole body knowing about it and feeling it. The same is true with the spiritual body of Christ. Life is just sometimes hard and you need another person. We are built for relationship and that is not just for all of the positive times but also for the negative times as well. Life is hard and you need another person. The Bible, friends, completely realistic about the need for help. There's that famous passage in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15 where Paul says we rejoice with those that rejoice and we mourn or we weep with those who weep. The the church is the place where you are surrounded by people who are so excited about you and about your life that you are never alone in the good moments or the bad moments. My good moments are your good moments. 
and vice versa. My bad moments are your bad moments and vice versa. You know, sorry to be so uh, self-referential so early in the morning, but uh, many of you know, my, you know, my father died on a Monday morning in January 2013. And, uh, you know, my father and I uh, were super close, and, you know, his death just really rocked my world, you know, with grief. And I know where he is. It's about where he's not, and that's grief, Right. And so he died on a Monday morning, by Wednesday night, that same week, three, two days later. I'm in the fellowship hall on a Wednesday night getting ready for our midweek at Mac Meal, and I'm sitting at a table by myself. And in walk uh, the West girls, Shane and Shannon's daughters. And uh, I have a, a, a really special relationship with those, those gals. They call me Uncle Ab. And uh, they walk in, and they see me sitting at a table by myself. And they know the father and mother told them what has happened. And little Bethany, who's seven years old at the time, walks over to me, puts her arms around my neck, her head on my shoulder, and just begins to pat my back. And she just pats my back. And she just pats my back. And one of us started to tear up, and the other one was Bethany. <laughs> You know, a lot of people don't have words for that. And I don't know if I have adequate words, but I like Paul's. Paul says in Galatians 6, carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another. And we've all been there. We've all been there. I'm not the only one. You too. Two weeks ago, we had the, uh, the memorial service for... Mary Beth Thompson died at the age of 63. Yesterday, in this very place where you're sitting right now, less than 24 hours ago, we had the memorial service for Ann Mundy. We've, we've, we've all been there. And there are just some corners in life that are just too hard to maneuver and to turn on your own. You need someone and sometimes a lot of someones to keep you from spinning out until you gain control. I think of children who are bullied. At school, on the playground, on the internet, on the world wide web, I think of children who are bullied and they think that that's the way everyone else in the world thinks about them. I think of people who are dismissed by the color of their skin or people who are dismissed by their gender. I think of spouses traded in for a better deal with somebody else. I think of the easy and automatic disdain that is felt for people who hold an opposite view, whether it's religion or politics or sports. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And this is why our church, along with every other church that has ever existed, we have been blessed with these one another passages in the Bible. We're told to love one another. The church must be the most loving place on earth. And the way that we do that is not loving the way that the world defines love, but we love the way that Jesus loved us. In fact, he said, that's the way that people in this world are going to know that you're my disciples is because you love each other the way that I have loved you. And one of the most loving things that you can do for somebody, and there's a lot of things that you can do that are loving, but one of them at the top is praying for one another. That's James chapter 5. 
sometimes you can really bless a person, and, and that's a great thing. You should always seek to bless somebody. But one of the highest ways that you can bless somebody on a daily basis that is beyond your ability to bless them is when you say their name into the ear of God and you ask for the creator of the heavens and the earth to bless their life. Forgive one another. Ephesians 4, Colossians chapter 3. You know, you, you may remember that I had you stand up and look at each other when we talked about all of that. And as you were looking at each other, I had you say under your breath in a whisper to say, these are my people. 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 You're my people. You're my people. You're my people. And you know how you stay my people is when we learn to forgive each other and remove those obstacles that separate us and we learn to forgive as we have been forgiven in Christ and to forgive everything as we have been forgiven in Christ by God. And we do that with each other and we stay united because we are proactively and with intention taking away all of those obstacles that stand and in the way of us loving each other. It is not loving to just tolerate another person and sit on one side of the auditorium while they sit on the other. That is not love. God loves us is not His tolerating us. God loving us is His forgiving us in Christ Jesus. And then last week we talked about the gift of courage. Encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10. Encourage one another. It's giving the, uh, the, the, your brother and sister the courage to live their life of faith and to trust God in some trying times. It's you, in another way of saying it, it's you saying to them, we can do this together. Well, these and others are the actions and the attitudes that move us toward being a healthy and a robust and a vitalized, dynamic body of Christ. Now this morning, we're going to consider another of the one another passages. It's from Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And I'm going to read you what this verse says in a couple of different versions so you can kind of get an idea of what's happening here. But in the NIV, it's honor one another above yourselves. In the NET, showing eagerness in honoring one another. In the New American Standards, give preference to one another in honor. In the New Living Translation, it's take delight in honoring each other. In the New Revised Standard Version, outdo one another in showing love. And then in the Old King Jimmy, it's in, in honor preferring one another. Now, they all kind of capture the same idea, but there is, not to, 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 uh, to go uh, Greek on you, but there is a very weird phrasing and, and way of putting together the words by Paul in the original language that seems to imply the idea that we are trying to get to the head of the line in showing honor to someone. Now what does it mean to show honor? To show honor, here's the simple definition. To honor someone is to recognize someone's worth and to treat them accordingly. To honor someone is to recognize someone's worth and to treat them accordingly. The church is the place where we recognize the worth of people. That we are made in the image of God. That we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The church is in the work of restoring people who have been crushed by the world, crushed by their mistakes, crushed by other people's mistakes, crushed by culture. I mean, crushed and crushed and crushed. And this work of restoring crushed people is an ongoing, never-ending work. And what is involved in this work 
is the honoring of brothers and sisters. And so the big idea of this message is this. The church is the place where we hustle to emphasize the worth of a brother or sister. When it comes to honoring people, we're rushing to the head of the line. We're hustling. We're moving as fast as we can. We're not letting anything stop us from getting to that place where we can honor another person. We see their worth. They are made in the image of God. They are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And therefore, we honor them. Now, for me, an example of honoring someone is found in the passage that we typically do not associate with honoring someone. It's the passage that David read just a couple of minutes ago. It's Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. In that story, Christ, his, his, he's at his final um, week in life. And his final Passover, the meal he's going to share with his disciples is just two days away. He knows that the time of his crucifixion is near. He also knows that there are so many people in that city of Jerusalem that are trying to kill him. Jesus is the Son of God incarnate, which means that he's also fully God, but he's also at the same time fully human. And in that fully human self of Jesus, what does he feel three days before the reality of the cross with all of those people trying to kill him? He's the most sensitive man who ever lived. Innocent. Loving. And because of that, the more it must have bothered him to know that he has come into his creation and he's feeling the full force of the hate against him. And so before the Passover, he's having dinner. A woman comes in. Everybody gets quiet. It's not like, you know, today when a woman, you're having dinner with your friends in that first century Jewish world, a woman entering in who is a stranger and uninvited and unannounced gets everybody's attention. And she takes out this jar of of perfume. And you know what we do with perfume because it's so expensive. I mean, you you know, you take that top off and you know, just a little behind each ear. That's not what she did. In fact, in the ancient world, this bottle of perfume is probably her retirement plan. It's something of great value that she would sell at the end of her her career, and it would be the way that she would support herself. She doesn't just take the cork off the bottle and put a little bit behind Jesus' ears. She breaks the bottle. She She crushes the bottle over him and allows it to, 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 to run over his head. And in this gesture, she is leaving no doubt as to the value of Jesus to her life. But you know, humans are fallen. And fallen humanity, fallen human nature sets in and starts to tear it down and to make it ugly. Imagine, it's, it's like this, imagine it's your birthday and you get this really great gift and somebody has spent some money on you. And somebody has thought about you, and they want to honor you, and they give you this great gift at your birthday party, and you've got it in your hands, and then everybody goes around, oh, hey, 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 that should have been given to somebody else. That should have been given to somebody else. They say, why the waste of the perfume? 
implying that it was a waste to pour it on Jesus. You're not worth it. They say it's worth a year's wages, doubly implying that you are worth less than that, Jesus. And this should have been sold in the money given to the poor, implying that what she has done does not really honor God. You want to honor God, you should have done it a different way. You know, here's the thing about, about honoring. Honoring cuts across the grain of a very dishonoring world. I mean, if you don't believe that this world is dishonoring, just get on Facebook, or better yet, Twitter. It is absolutely a dishonoring culture that we live in. And, and there's always a moment in life where you feel alone and isolated, and this is one of them for Jesus. Jesus stops and, and says to all of them, She has done a beautiful thing. A lot of people are trying to kill Jesus, perhaps some even in that room. And here comes a woman who sees the worth of Jesus and honors him. Put yourself in Jesus' place. What would that have meant to you? What did it mean to him? He tells us, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. When that sweet little Bethany put her arms around my neck, she did a beautiful thing to me. This unnamed woman has blessed Jesus and encouraged Jesus as he begins to face the cross alone. Can you imagine for the life of you encouraging the Christ as he faces the cross for you? And in his mind, here is somebody that gets him. Friends, honoring is always encouraging. Honoring is always encouraging. And here's the thing for us. The, the Bible assumes the honoring culture of the church. That, the, that in the church, people will be treated the way they should be. That honoring people sometimes in the beginning is sometimes the, the, the trigger that helps them to begin living an honorable life. And so as you think about honoring people and, and, and helping us to establish an honoring culture in our church, three quick things. I'll just name them very quickly. There's recognizing their worth before you say something to them, before you don't say something to them. Recognize their worth. Number two, celebrate their wins. Celebrate their wins. Honor somebody when you see them doing something good and then serve them willingly, which means that sometimes... Sometimes you stand with them when you don't agree with what they've done, and they know it, and they know they've made a mistake, but you're there beside them because they're a brother, and they're made in the image of God, and they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and it's by grace that we have all been saved. It is by the cross that we stand. It's by God's forgiveness that we take a step forward, and it is by the hope of the resurrection that we are able to live this life at a higher level than what is found throughout our land. We honor one another. 
Let's stand and sing.